Uh, good morning again. Uh, this morning's reading is from Galatians 1, 1 to 10. If you have the blue Bibles, it's on page 1167. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, Some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Good morning, everyone. Before I forget, we have some small little cards at the welcome desk which uh, advertise our church time and location. So take some, put them in your pocket and give them out to people you meet during the week. They said, what do you do Sunday? I went to church. Here it is. Come along. So make use of them. And they came just this week. So it's a great uh, tool we can use uh, to help tell people about where we, what we do on the weekend. And, and then maybe they can come along too and hear about our God's kindness and grace as well. So we're going to start a new series in Galatians. And, and as we do that, I want to show you um, my pumpkin patch. And this is a really big pumpkin patch from a, a, a few years ago. And it was a beast growing. You can see the lattices in the back. They're about three meters long. It's about a six meter long pumpkin patch. And it all got there by accident. I didn't mean to plant it. I, 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 um, I put pumpkin seeds down for the chickens to scratch around on. And very soon, very quickly, I saw pumpkin seeds growing everywhere. And I thought, this is great. So I kept watering it and taking care of it and looking after this pumpkin patch. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And we got 50 butternut pumpkins from it that year. And one of the little pumpkin bushes I was tending to very carefully, um, looked like a pumpkin bush. It sounded like a pumpkin bush when I spoke to it and when it talked back to me and said, water me and look after me. And as time went on, it it started to look a little bit different than the pumpkin thing. And I left it. I'm not going to rip up the pumpkin bush unless I know what it is. And and over time, it looked weird and it grew bigger. And right in the middle where it should have been a pumpkin bush, I realized it was not a pumpkin bush. Is a pumpkin a vine? Is that what it is? It looks like a vine, pumpkin vine. It wasn't a pumpkin vine at all. It was a horrible, thorny, prickly, evil weed that was stopping this vine growing how it should. And so I got there with all manner of tools. I couldn't even get to the root because it was so gangly and painful to get out. And I attacked it with all my, my determination and finally got rid of this horrible weed thing. But I'd been feeding it, right? I've been spending water and energy and effort looking after a weed when I, when I thought it was a pumpkin vine. And you know what's worse than knowing you've got weeds is 
when you think the weed is a flower or a pumpkin bush and you give it all that effort and energy and care for it like it's special and precious, but it's not. And you know what's even worse than knowing you've got weeds is when someone says to you, this is a rose bush and it's actually a weed. Like when you think the thing is someone sells you under the, the image that it's actually going to be this thing and it's not, it's actually just a, a, it's fake, it's a weed. I'm sure you can think of other examples too of when, when something, you thought it was this and it was that, someone sells you that and it was this, you know, horrible. I remember the story of Matilda and her dad's a used car salesman and he put sawdust in the engine box of the car to, you know, to sell it and make it look good. And it's the same thing. And so my point to this is, is as we start Galatians, and this is, we're going to kick off the whole book with this question and it's going to cover every verse, every part of the, the book of Galatians as we explore it. And the question is this, that the statement is this, we let weeds often grow in our life too, not just in my pumpkin patch. Often we turn to weeds, right? I, I, I look to weeds instead of the true vine, the true gardener of my soul. Often we think I am or I'm going to do a better job of shepherding my life than what the true shepherd does. Often I think I'm going to do a better job of hosting my life than what the true banquet host of, of Psalm 23 does often we equate weeds for christianity or to say it the way galatians does is is we follow a counterfeit version of the gospel a version of jesus that looks and sounds really close and similar but actually it's fake and it can't deliver on grace and so here's the question are you following a counterfeit form of jesus are you following a counterfeit form of christianity and unlike a pair of fake Nikes, it's going to get you by. And everyone's going to think you look amazing because you got your Nikes on, but are really fake. Uh, and a counterfeit Jesus is no Jesus at all. And, and do you know what the antidote to a counterfeit Jesus is, to the weeds in our life? It's actually amazement. Amazement at the gospel, at Jesus. So are you still amazed at Jesus this morning? And if you're here and you don't know who Jesus is. If you're not amazed at Jesus and you're thinking, exploring Christianity and faith and what this God of the Bible is we've sang about and we're going to talk through now, then join us to see that Christians have something to be truly amazed about. And maybe you'll join us in being amazed at our Jesus as well. So let's explore it together. Galatians, as a book, has a hugely important role in shaping Christians throughout the centuries. Martin Luther, uh, the reformer, 500 years ago said, the epistle to Galatians is my epistle, epistle's letter. I betrothed it to myself, it is my wife. That's a big thing to say. Scholar and lecturer at Moore College, Alan Cole, the late Alan Cole, said, Galatians is spiritual dynamite. It is therefore almost impossible to handle it without explosions. That's pretty cool. And then more recently, Todd Wilson said, Galatians exists for grace. We find grace at the beginning, we find it at the end, we find it in the middle. It just saturates this 149 verses of the Bible. Now, Galatia is a big region. It was written by Paul around about AD 50. And you can see there, it's, it's north of Jerusalem and Antioch. And Paul did a two and a half thousand kilometer mission trip in the southern part, so the bottom Galatian tag there, and he traveled to all these locations and he spread the gospel and started churches to Galatia. And he writes to the Galatians, plural. So there's not one church, there's lots of these churches in the southern region he's writing to. And the name Galatia comes from the 
the Romans, who called the Celtic people that settled their Galli, like when you say, well, I'm an Adelaidean, and it stuck. And after a war with Rome, it became a province, and then it just got nicknamed Galatia after that. And by the time Paul got there to this Galatian region, there was so many non-Jews, Gentiles living there, uh, that started to believe in Jesus. What happened was there was a clash of culture, there was a clash of race, Jew and Gentile, there was a clash of lifestyles following different laws and ways of living, and that caused issues for this collective bunch of people getting together in the name of Jesus. Now, Acts chapter 10 to 15 explain how the early church unpacked this inclusive nature of the gospel and some of the issues that arose. Both Messianic Jews, so those Jews who became to believe in the first century, Jesus was the Messiah, and anyone from any other nation, so a non-Jewish Christian, got saved by that same Jesus, they're called Gentiles, who had no knowledge of Jewish customs and laws or faith, and they all can come together in the name of Jesus and get saved, see him as Lord and Savior and King, and they're all running to him. And, And Peter's statement in Acts chapter 11 convinced these at Jerusalem that race is irrelevant to the gospel of grace. But just because Jesus kills race and classism and, 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 and creates this new culture, it did not follow that Acts instantly, the new church instantly figured out all the theological and practical applications of that, right? It took time in Acts for questions to be asked, for, for them to be thrashed around and work out how it all fit together, because Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement. So will the Gentiles have to be circumcised like a Jew? Will they come under kosher food laws after believing in Jesus? If, if not, uh, do they abandon all those laws? Are there two, should we have two churches, a Jewish church, a non-Jewish church, a Jewish believing church, I should say? Should, what, what should the Gentiles obey? Is there a place for the Deuteronomy Torah law to be followed you know, step by step in these new churches that are starting. And, and that's a serious question the church had to grapple with back in, in the day. And as it happened, a group of Jewish Christians came into this really Gentile, non-Jewish region of Galatia, and they began undermining Paul's free and beautiful gospel. And they said, if you want to be part of God's covenant, true covenant family, guys, you're actually going to have to become as Jewish as you can be. You're going to have to eat the right food. You're going to have to be circumcised. You're going to have to focus on the Torah law. And now this idea of the Galatians having to obey, coming out of a a Roman system of belief, having to obey a God to avoid his curse, because Deuteronomy talks about blessing and cursing for following God. If if I'm going to follow the Deuteronomy Torah law, then there's going to be a, a blessing and a curse. And if you're a Christian now because of Jesus, you need to follow that to show you belong to Jesus. And they, they are they're thinking, this is, this is serious. We've got to get this right. And so they would bring their lives into alignment with the law. And in their pursuit of actually wanting to follow Jesus, they actually ended up emphasizing the wrong thing. And they, they thought Paul was wrong. Because Paul came and said, it's actually all about Jesus and God's grace. And you don't have to do anything or add to it. It's just free, wonderful, beautiful grace because Jesus has done it already on the cross. Believe that. And the Galatians said, lovely, we love that. And these other guys came and said, yes, but you also have to now do this. And they're thinking, Paul, actually, he forgot to tell us some really important stuff. Maybe Paul isn't the guy. He, he Maybe he's cheated us. Maybe he sold us the weed instead of the real package, right? And the problem was, is that the, the law... It was never really obeyed by the Jews anyway. And then they're going to impose on this other group of people a way of living which they could never do themselves. 
And the second thing, more importantly, is the law always looked to Jesus as the fulfillment, the end goal, right? It wasn't do this, it was actually pointing to him. You see? And so imposing this idea that you can't belong unless you do stuff is actually undermining the grace of God. And Paul, who founded these churches in Galatia, is heartbroken, he's frustrated, he's angry because the gospel is being abandoned for a counterfeit form of Jesus. You know, in Galatians and Titus, the only two of Paul's 13 letters where he doesn't have something nice to say at the start. Hi, I'm Paul, and I love you, and you're wonderful and amazing. Corinthians, he says that. Philippi says that. But Galatians, hi, it's Paul, grace to you. Boom! Guys, what's going on? I'm shocked. But, but you know, for many of us, this, this concept, we're far removed from following the Torah law and circumcision and, and, and eating different certain foods, but... It's a, it's a true thing that we wrestle with today. We, we believe and embrace Jesus with all enthusiasm. And then we find the Christian life isn't what we expect. And we think, maybe there's other things I need to do and add to it. Maybe there's some other stuff I can kind of work out this life with Jesus with. And, and now that I'm saved, maybe I can do better and try harder because of Jesus. And, and what Galatians speaks into that is this wonderful reply of, no, actually, it's all about God's grace from start to finish. You believe the gospel to get in and you continue to believe that same gospel every moment of every day. It's not Jesus plus A, B, C, D. It's go back to grace. So let's look at the first 10 verses. The first six, and it's on your outline, what is the gospel? And then seven to 10, what it looks like to turn away from the gospel. And then we'll answer with three questions about what that means for us. Jesus is still true. Jesus is still good news, and Jesus is still changing you. That's where we're going to go. So right at the beginning, Paul says this, I'm an apostle sent not from men or from man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches of Galatia. So notice it's not just Paul on his own writing, all the brothers and sisters. This is a, is a, a big movement of thinking that in Galatia that's being shifted away from Jesus and all the others in Antioch and Jerusalem are saying, let's, let's collectively speak into this issue. And right away from the very beginning, Paul connects this raising of Jesus and his, him being sent out to proclaim this resurrected Jesus. You see, he's a messenger from God in the same vein as the resurrection. And what he's doing, he's setting up a whole different place where his gospel came from than those other people coming in to tell them it's Jesus plus other things. His gospel originates from God himself. He is this new kind of messenger called an apostle, proclaiming and representing this good news report about God, a good news report what God has already done to save us. And you receive that through faith. See, it's news. You don't make it, you just believe it. And this great news report, as verse 3 says, is filled with grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's these two truths in Paul's opening, the message that God has raised Jesus from the dead and that grace and peace come down to us from God's own relationship with himself, which are now on offer and is the essence of the gospel. And in all of Paul's writing, at the very start of every single one of his letters, he always says grace and peace. Timothy, he adds mercy, but every other letter, grace and peace to you. He never says peace and grace, he says grace and peace, because peace comes through grace. 
You cannot have the peace of God. You cannot have peace in your life unless you have the grace of God as the foundation of that peace. And when this unsettling gospel comes in to the Galatian region, guys, it's grace and peace. It's always that. Grant Osborne, a New Testament scholar, just says it so well. He says, grace, the grace you've always wanted, the peace you've always hoped for are now offered to you by God and Jesus. And that's just beautiful. But this is the problem with grace. And this is why the Galatians had a struggle with it. It's because grace isn't easy. What do I mean? You see, everything in life costs something. Video games promise rewards for the more you play. Your boss rewards you for time, effort, long hours. You get points for shopping at certain stores. Your parents reward you with more freedom as you're faithful as a teenager. Our whole life is saturated by a point system. And kindness is often dependent upon the phrase, sorry, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve this. I can't be kind to you because you haven't earned it. It's what we hear. And grace is true in a sense. We don't deserve God's grace. There's no catch to God's grace. Well, not, no catch for you anyway. Look at the next verse. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, grace tells us that someone did something for you, and that someone was Jesus. It was costly grace because God's grace to us means Jesus gave up his life so we could be rescued from the present evil age. And that shows us grace is not just a past cross event. It's actually a, a right now reality, not just a, a last thing, a past thing. It's a present thing, and it's a future. Tomorrow, you'll find all the grace you need. You'll find all the grace and peace you need because of what Jesus has done. And that is the hope of the Christian faith. And right there at the start, without even mentioning the issue, Paul says, go back to grace. Go back to grace. That's what he's telling the churches. And the thing is, no matter your struggle with sin, no matter the conflict in your life that you face, you don't need to add to Jesus by flirting with other things. The source of grace and forgiveness and peace is the cross. The Son of God giving himself for our sins to become as we are, to make us as he is. And that is amazing. And you know the way we come back to that grace? You think, yeah, I get that concept. Grace is important. I'm over here and grace seems like it's here. How do I get back to that? It's, it's actually really simple. It's, it's one word at the end of verse 5. Amen. It's funny when, when Paul writes his letter and he says, God's grace to us, and then he just kind of says, Amen. Amen. Amen for all that God has done to us in Jesus. Amen to Jesus giving himself for our sins. Amen to the kindness and the peace of God to us. Amen that you don't earn it. You can't find it, but you can find it freely. Amen that we find a person, Jesus, not a law, not a system, not a philosophy. We find him as our hope. Amen. Amen. That's how you come back to grace. That's how you stay amazed at the cross. You survey the cross of Jesus and you say amen to that. This is not a casual glancing. I agree with the premise of truth in that statement that Jesus can forgive me. This is a, a heart that realizes the entrance way to God, to that grace and that peace and that forgiveness is through Jesus being the entrance. And I, I amen to that. I agree. Are you amazed at God's grace? Can you say amen to God's grace? Because that's what 
That's what the gospel is saying. Amen. Are you amazed by that? Or is it more amazing in verse 6? That you have turned away from grace. Are you amazed at grace? Or is it amazing you've turned away from grace? Paul says, I'm astonished you're quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, in the life of Jesus, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those, those four books, this term of astonishment, this verb, describes awe and wonder at Jesus. The crowds were astonished. The crowds were amazed at what Jesus did. And that's what we see. But in, in, in Galatians, Paul uses that very same word and he flips it and he says, it's not amazing at who Jesus is. This is amazing. You're turning away from Jesus. You're abandoning him. Galatians. Trinity Church Golden Grove, this new thing that's come to you, it's not the amazing thing you think it is. It's actually astonishingly horrific. You see, verse 3, it's God's grace that has called and saved, and now they're turning away from that very hope and salvation. They're deserting the one. Not just turning away from what Paul taught. Paul couldn't care less if they didn't like him. That was not his, his prerogative. They're not turning away from a philosophical concept or an abstract idea that sounds nice. They're turning away from the one who called them, who gave them grace and truth, who is the very center of the gospel, the person of Jesus. It's a person, the one. It is only in Jesus that the thing we long for as people are found, forgiveness to fix the evil in my heart, grace to no longer be as I once was, and peace over my life, in all spheres of my life. That's the gospel. That is the great news report from God. You believe it, you receive it. Will you say amen to that? Can you say with me this morning, amen to the gospel of God's grace? I hope you can. And then Paul goes on and he says, here's what it looks like to abandon the gospel. Verse 7, I'm amazed you're turning away from God's good news, which is really is actually no gospel at all. Uh, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion trying to pervert the gospel of Christ he, he almost corrects himself you turn into a different gospel actually there is no other gospel you see turning away from and turning to is the problem here you see in Jesus they have all they could ever want or need there is no greater Everest than God there is no greater truth than what this gospel contains and what Paul is eager to remind them of is that they have already scaled that wonderful mountain of God by God's grace. Don't abandon it. There is no other peak to climb. When you get to Everest, that's it. It's the, it's the highest one. You cannot climb a higher mountain and you are there by God's grace. And that's what's so shocking. C.S. Lewis said that in front of people is this Everest of God and people are too happy playing with tin cans in the mud to look up. A tin can in the mud when Mount Everest is there. That's our problem. And this idea of perverting, has the idea of changing into something else, like when, when Wolverine got the exoskeleton. He was changed. He, he wasn't totally new, right? He just had improvements. A little bit added to the exoskeleton gave him that bit extra and, and this is this is what that word carries this is what Paul's saying but not in a good way not like I'm, I'm strong now and I won't get hurt and I've got claws like Wolverine but 
Three times we see this word pervert in the New Testament, and it means turning around, reversing, changing. And so what we say is there's still a whiff of Jesus in the Galatian churches, right? There's still hope they can change by God's grace. That's why Paul's writing the letter. But what they're turning to wasn't fully grace. It was a little bit different. It was about self-assurance, determination, the ability to do stuff in addition addition to Jesus saving you, you see. And this, this perversion is the great danger that we face. In fact, that's always the danger. Drifting away from Jesus to a gospel that sounds and looks like Jesus, but is really about you obeying him for your sake, not for his glory. Drifting away from Jesus is often met with words like enhancing, improving, finding the secret. This new teacher, a more contemporary version of Jesus, whatever that means. We see that, we hear that. The gospel is so simple The saying goes, Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. It's already perfect in what it is. There can be no improvement on the divine action by human achievement. Christ is truly enough, and that is truly good news. Amen. Amen. In in fact, Paul is so certain that there is no other gospel, he's prepared to say that if an angel should come from heaven and preach another gospel than what we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. The gospel message cannot be changed. You see, what what heresy does, it perverts, it distorts just enough to confuse it. Just enough to make it look and sound like God. But Paul can't change the message. He's the messenger. He's been given the message to proclaim it. And not even an angel from heaven can alter the message of the gospel. It's an unchanging message that even touches the heavenly realms through. That's his point. Guys, if an angel dropped down in the middle of the room and said there is, a, there is something else plus Jesus, Paul's saying, no. As amazing as that may be, that's astonishingly horrific. And, and then twice Paul says, what's going to happen if you believe the fake news of the day? And those that present that fake news, the clickbait, that will be cursed. Anathema. Where we, get our, the, we get this word curse from. The Greek word anathema. You'll be an anathema. You'll be cut off. You'll be, you'll, be, you'll be removed on the day of judgment when you stand before Jesus because you've told people it's Jesus plus something else. You'll be cursed. You'll be cut off. That's a serious thing. You know, you become like your teachers. You become like the bloggers you read. You become like the pastors on the internet you listen to. That's what happens. You become like them. So be careful. What's amazing isn't angelic revelation or some guy who preaches so well that he's so relevant to every circumstance in life. What's amazing is the unchanging gospel has been made known to you in Jesus. And we can say amen to that. And then finally, Paul knows that this whole issue that's confronting Galatians isn't just theological, it's also this moral thing too. Look at verse 10, he says, Am I trying to win the approval of humans or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's a very strange way to end this section. But those coming into the Galatian churches wanted the approval of people. They wanted to be made much of instead of making much of God. And a distorted gospel is more concerned with pleasing people than God. And how pleasing others is so... We live in that world, do we not? We dress a certain way, we act... We change, we behave, we agree to things we may not really agree with just to please someone, just to make them like us. 
just to sort of think good of us. We've all suffered that. Just to hear the word you're wonderful or be noticed, it, it happens all the time. But, but people pleasers at the core, they don't do conflict. They aren't interested in serving Jesus. And as it appears here, they don't speak about the beauty of the cross. They add things to it. And that is the problem in the Galatian churches. But what Paul says, in contrast to that, he says, I am a servant. You see, Paul is interested in the opinion of one person, and that's Jesus, not the many. Paul's learned that the gospel is far more confronting than anyone's opinion of him. I mean, mean, when you think about that there is a hell, and not just guerrilla fighters in Africa who destroy houses and children's lives, hell is not just for them, but for anyone who doesn't trust Jesus Christ. That's confronting. I'm sure you can think of confronting things when hell is mentioned. People that don't know Jesus get upset by that. But you know what's equally as confronting as hell is heaven. Because the fact that God forgives and saves anyone who believes, that's just as confronting. But yes, it's not just the A-grade student, the the couple who who saved their whole life to go on one holiday in in their 60s before they retired. It's not just the person who's never cheated on their taxes that is going to go to heaven. But that guerrilla fighter in Africa, the slave trader who's trafficked human lives and has done horrific things to people, they get to heaven the same way as the mum and dad who have faithfully worked for their family for their whole life. And that's confronting. Because it's only by God's grace that anyone gets there. The costly grace of Jesus. It is an exclusive message as one way, but it's so inclusive that anyone can come. And do you see how confronting that is? And I say that to you, believing every moment of it, yet it hits me when I think about some evil in the world and think, man, they, they could potentially get to heaven with God for glory forever, just like me. Do I want them there? They're evil. But I'm evil too. Look in my heart, you'll see just as many horrible things, maybe not done, thought of, said. And and you see how you cannot serve that God and that gospel if you're interested in pleasing people because you will not present that message faithfully. The breadth, the depth, the wonderful kindness of God would miss out if you're interested in pleasing people. Paul says, I'm not trying to win the approval of human beings or of God. I do not care what you think of me. Do not turn away from Jesus. And so here's where we're at. The very first 10 verses of Galatians, Paul begins by showing the Galatians the gospel they believed is enough. That's all you need. It is good news. Don't change it. Don't drift away from it. Stay amazed. And here's how you do that. Three ways as we close. How do you stay amazed? Well, firstly, Jesus is still true. Right now, Jesus is still true. He's not only defending his authority as an apostle sent by God to proclaim the gospel, but he reminds the Galatians the gospel is a series of true statements and facts that are pregnant with God's grace and favor and forgiveness, and the source of that is found in Jesus. But those truths need to go from fact to reality to give new birth in you. That's why he says in verse 6, Jesus has called you to live in the grace of Jesus. Leslie Newbinger, the British missionary who turned theologian in the 19th century, says that, the, I think he was the first person to say this, by the way, 
and other people have adapted it. I'm sure you've heard it. But he says the Christian story provides us with such a set of lenses, not something to look at, but for us to look through. C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity the same way I believe in the, the sunrise. Because by it, I see everything. As the sun touches everything, that's how I see God permeating through every part of life. And, and the danger of the Galatians was believing fake news instead of the true good news of Jesus. And that's also the next point too. Jesus is still true and he's still good news. Is Jesus still good news or just, is he just old news? You see, just as Paul is astonished at the unbelief and turning away from the gospel, there was a time when God the Father turned away from Jesus in absolute astonishment. This astonishing act of God, not done in unbelief, but to secure our belief, was on the cross. Where Jesus willingly became the curse of the law so that we can escape that through him. In the very rejection of Jesus, we have the certainty that God will not turn from us even when our hearts are prone to wander from him. And that is the good news we need to hear again. It is astonishing that God would let Jesus do that for us and our sin. He is the answer to our restlessness, our itchy feet, what our hearts have been searching for. In all the wrong places, his grace satisfies. He is still good news and he's still changing you. The gospel does not come to you and say, just do better and try harder. You just need Jesus and some determination and some motivation and mix it around in a big jug and you now can reach the stars. With God becoming this sort of streaming service, you can consume as much as you want and you you go away and do your life and come back and get more of. That's not what Paul's saying. Nor do we see Paul saying, as we often do in work emails, when there's a problem, we use our authority, right? You write the email very grumpy so you do this with your keyboard and you say um i am the apostle you you better do what i say or else because i have authority you know from god do what i say we don't see paul doing that nor do we see paul warping emotions guys you you better do it because and listing all the reasons why they should do it you know you better do it because of this and because of that he doesn't try to guilt them better obey jesus you know that disappointed look you see from people well hmm He doesn't give that. Because none of that is actually a gospel motivation. None of it's good news. If I guilt you into obeying, I may have got your behavior to be fixed, but your heart's too rebellious. If I force you like an employer and a boss to do it, well, you're not doing it because you love Jesus. You're doing it because you've been forced to do it. It doesn't work. Paul points the Galatians back to this unchanging nature of the gospel and says, go back to grace because that's how you're actually going to be changed. We'll see it more in chapter 2 at the end. The issue there is Peter's behavior. And he doesn't say, Peter, do better, try harder. He says it's about justification. And I've been thinking about it all week. Why does he correct behavior with the cross? And, and come back in two weeks and we hear out why. It is a, a wonderful. So going into Monday, please don't be abducted by the weeds, like my pumpkin patch was. Don't believe a counterfeit version of Christianity. If, if you're thinking there has to be more. Actually, the gospel has everything you need. Explore that further. Are you still amazed at Jesus? May this week you be truly able to say amen and continually be amazed at him. Let's pray and 
the band will come up for our final song. Father, your kindness is amazing. Your grace to us is what we long for, and that is on offer through Jesus. When, when, he, when he went to the cross, he, he took upon all your anger at our sin and rebellion and he absorbed it and then he gave us his own righteousness. And when he rose from the dead, it's secure. We have everything we need in, in front of us, in him, in that message. Lord, may we not turn from it this week. Correct our faulty hearts, Lord, so that we can say amen to you once more. In your name we pray, amen.